48 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill. And with me, as always, is not only my co-host, but the birthday boy, Chris. Everybody out there, it is Chris's birthday. Chris, little buddy. Happy birthday. Jesus. Don't you like the music I picked for you? Did that come with a fucking clown? <laughs> right. Oh, happy birthday, pal. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I uh, I feel like with each new year comes a uh, another part of my body that just kind of gives out. Oh, man. And it only gets fucking worse. I was just saying to somebody at the gym today that you literally have to work twice as hard for half the results. <laughs> it's fucking true. And I haven't even been in the gym. I can't remember how long. And I could just see things going awry oh, it, over it, the body. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I thought I, I, I've been feeling like I, I look okay. And then uh, my kids took a picture of me the other day, and it looked like I had a set of tits. I got to rack on that one. I got to do some soul searching, man. <laughs> Dude, it's so it's so funny because like obviously the changes that happen to you because you're looking at yourself constantly. So like somebody that hasn't seen you in a few months could really see the difference <laughs> yeah. versus you but when you are able to grab handfuls of of your body that weren't there before <laughs> that's when you uh it's, it's, that's panic, when it's time panic mode panic mode i'm getting there so i need to i need to do something but what we all need to know what's on everybody's mind tonight pal are you wearing your birthday suit <laughs> uh, oh all right <laughs> I'm gonna have to stop you there. No, right, my hands. Don't, don't do it. It's on. Don't, please, Chris. Please, no. I, I hit. Uh, oh, 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 God, we are not off to a good start. I do apologize, Chris. We have to really just get going with tonight's case, pal, because we have an impending storm, and we do not want to get caught in this one, baby. We have two feet of snow coming our way. I am so excited. This started out as like a six to eight inch event, and then. You know, they were talking about how this, like, nor'easter was going to start building and slowing down and blah, blah, blah. And now it's up to 18 to 24 inches. Woo! Buddy, let me stop you right there. Because you always hit the nail on the head. Because you know why, Chris? That was a great segue into what we're talking about tonight. Because tonight, we are talking about the mysterious disappearance of the Eileen Moore lighthouse keepers and now do you know why storms tie into this whole thing chris hold on buddy let me tell you because these three lighthouse keepers seemingly vanished off this island without a trace and there are tons of theories as far as what happened to them one such theory being a storm but we're going to dig in a little deeper to see if that's even accurate, because archive records show, Chris, that there was no storm at the time. So, Ooh. yeah. So now we're going to look into this, pal, and find out what is going on here. Was it a possible rogue wave? Did these fucking guys go insane? Possible pirates? Or something a little more super natural? I gotta tell you, I do love a good lighthouse case. We did one case other than this before, and that was the the, the lighthouse in Maine. Right, you are, Chris. That was the Seguin lighthouse episode. That was a good one. Especially the date of this one. I like how how like far back it was. An island, a Scottish island, no less, with a lighthouse and 
a missing persons case, it just couldn't get better. Well, I'm telling you, because we love lighthouses. We love Maine. We've talked about it a thousand times. And the backdrop to this thing is just geographically beautiful. So that, that, that makes it a little more fun to investigate, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to actually uh, visit this place. Well, I, that's what I was thinking when I was researching this, that you and I would thrive out in the lighthouse. I don't need to fucking see anybody. <laughs> absolutely. This quarantine life suits us for sure. It's working out okay. <laughs> so, Chris, why don't we shine a light on this case tonight? I like what you did there. Yes, yes, lighthouse. I like that too. All right, Chris, uh, as you said, we're going back in time, pal. We are actually going back to 1900, December of 1900 to be exact. And as you said, Chris, our mystery takes place in Scotland, more specifically, the Flannan Isles of Scotland. Notice how I didn't say islands, Chris. I said isles. I did notice how you said that. Yeah. Well, sometimes these islands are referred to as the Seven Hunters. It's a group of islands out in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, Chris. As I said, it's a group of islands, but the one island that we're going to be focusing on specifically tonight is called Eileen Moore. And that is where the lighthouse was, Chris. The Eileen Moore Lighthouse in the Flannan Isles. That is where our mystery takes place. Now, up until December of 1900, everything seemed to be going swimmingly. Notice how I use that, Chris? With the ocean around it, Sw- <laughs> swimmingly. That was until December 15th. That is when a steamer making its way from Philadelphia to the port of Leith in Scotland noticed that the lighthouse was not functioning. And that ship was called the Archdor. Now, that ship itself... That steamer is going to play a big role in this, Chris, because the captain had the wherewithal just to make note that the lighthouse was not functioning. So this guy was familiar with the area pretty much from making these trips various times. So he knew how to navigate around the waters. So he wasn't relying so heavily on the lighthouse. But thank God he took that information with him to port and parlayed it to the authorities there. Because once they got the port, they were able to take action. But the problem here was, Chris, it took the Archdor three days from the time it spotted the lighthouse not working till it arrived in port. And to make matters worse, bud, they were all set to send a relief boat to the Eileen Moore Lighthouse. But as fate would see to it, as it so often does, there was a terrible storm that hit the area for nearly seven days. So the relief boat with Additional lifekeepers on board was unable to reach the Eileen Moore Lighthouse until 11 days later. Am I right, Chris? <laughs> that sounds like a new t-shirt I saw <laughs> That sounds like a great new idea. <laughs> so let's talk about something here for a second. How treacherous this lighthouse not being on could have been. Like you said, if there's treacherous weather or whatnot i mean and it throws you off course mixed with this landscape i mean that's a recipe for disaster we're not talking about like ships that have gps and tracking and can and can like scan you know the water or whatever sonar whatever all the equipment that they have these days we're talking about 1900 where you have shit you have a sail (laughs) and your eyes (laughs) and your fucking eyes so if it's dark out you don't see like that lighthouse not being there 
could have been an issue for anybody that wasn't familiar with passing that area. Without a doubt. And I'm sure that some boats probably ran into trouble, you know, within that time frame that maybe we don't know about. Maybe they didn't capsize or whatnot, but yeah. maybe they might have... They could have sank. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. But you're right. It's such a hard area to navigate through. And not only that, bro, if you hit something you capsize in that North Atlantic, I mean, it's brick titties cold. You're fucking done. God, I cannot imagine in a time where you can't really call for help. No. Like you, back then. Like there's no homing, there's no beacon that you could send up. They did have a flare of some sort, but what the hell is that going to do you if there's nobody in sight? So Seriously. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Before we get too deep into this, we should discuss the lighthouse keepers that were there on an island. There wasn't one, there wasn't two, but buddy, there were three keepers there. And that makes this all the more mysterious, right? A disappearance of one person, okay, maybe two, eh, we've seen it before, but three? Basically, you're wiping out a small village at this point, right? <laughs> it's clear that whatever happened was either a case like you said potentially of like pirates where obviously they're not just going to leave one survivor or two survivors or they were all doing something at the same time and happened to be hit like a wave or like you you mentioned possibly that could have wiped them all out at the same time they were clearly all together yeah if it wasn't something like a pirate ship they were clearly all together when this happened well that's the thing too and they were pretty skilled and experienced keepers i mean we had three guys that we had there was uh james duckett thomas marshall and don mcarthur and from what i've read duckett and marshall were the more experienced guys and mcarthur was pretty much the fill-in as fate would see to it for that poor guy uh he filled in this time and it didn't work out too well you know, as we said, with these guys being so experienced, you wouldn't think that they would make careless mistakes. Obviously, we don't know what happened here, but we're going to find some clues once the relief boat gets to the island that only add to the mystery. Chris, it doesn't answer many questions. It only digs the hole a little deeper, and we are not finding any treasures, bud. Do you see what I did there, Chris? Pirates, treasure, treasures? <laughs> So, Bud, we're on day 11 from the time that the lighthouse was first seen not operating, not functioning properly. So we don't know what's going on at this point. So it's at that point, my man Jimmy Harvey, who was the captain of the relief ship called the Hesperus, he takes off 10 days later because of the storm, as we said. They sailed to the Eileen Moore Island, and they didn't notice any signs of life. They were blowing the ship's whistle, firing flares... And generally speaking, when a ship approaches the lighthouse, one of the keepers comes out to greet them. It helps them navigate in. But there was no sign of life. It was at that point that the relief lighthouse keeper, Joseph Moore, or as you like to refer to him as Joey Moore, hopped in a rowboat and uh, rowed ashore alone, brother, alone. He entered this island alone. And, uh, yeah, and when he got there, he noticed a couple of very bizarre things. Am I right, Chris? I guess, if that's what it says. <laughs> Chris, please, tell us what Joey found on the island. So, old Joey, old pal, after rowing ashore, he sensed this steep stairwell that leads up to the lighthouse. Now, that's got to be eerie in itself. Yeah. 
Obviously, one of the things that was first a little bit of a surprise was that nobody was greeting them when they arrived. They're expecting somebody to come greet them when the replacement shows up. Yeah, so, and that's standard procedure. Somebody has to fucking come out and at least direct them in and tell them what's fucking happening. Right, and so obviously, obviously, given the situation with the light being out in the house, I mean, I would, I would assume at this point they are assuming something's wrong. So not only was it odd that nobody had greeted them when Joseph Moore arrived, but the flag had nothing on the staff, and there were provisions that had been delivered that were not taken in. So apparently from some reports from Joey Moore himself, that there was this very overwhelming sense of foreboding as his long walk up this stone stairwell. So once Moore actually makes it to the lighthouse, he already can tell that something happened because the door to the lighthouse is unlocked and the entrance hall, two of three oil-skinned coats were missing. So those oil-skinned coats, as, as they're called, those are basically used for protection against the elements when going outside to do whatever they have to do. So we have three missing guys and two missing coats, one still on the hook. Right. That will be eerie in itself, I guess, too. It's standard procedure that one keeper must stay inside and man the lighthouse at all times. Well, that could explain it, then. Yeah, so <laughs> stick that little feather in your cap, pal. But the question is, what the hell were they doing? If provisions were not taken in, the flag, of course, is not up there. And if one keeper was to stay behind, I'm guessing uh, something very wrong happened. Uh, yeah, especially if those provisions never made it inside, because that's your lifeline. Any kind of food right. or water, anything you might need, is dropped in periodically. And if you don't take care of that stash that comes in, my man, you're done. Well... I'm glad you mentioned food because what Moore finds next in the kitchen area hmm. was half-eaten food and an overturned chair. Well, that's just bad manners. <laughs> and we all know an overturned chair was universal for... <laughs> Sign of struggle. <laughs> Signs of a struggle. So, from what Moore sees here, somebody was in a rush. Something, something sudden must have happened to take them away from their food and for a chair to be knocked down. And obviously, nobody had returned after that chair was knocked down. So this event ultimately ended in the doom of these poor souls or something more mysterious. But here's something that actually might make your skin crawl. The kitchen clock had stopped. Uh, what? Yeah, my man. It just stopped. All the clocks were stopped at 2 o'clock. So, I mean, what are the chances of that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was 2 a.m., because we all know what 3 a.m. is. The witching hour! And uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but the beds were still made, so none of these guys were just fucking taking an afternoon nap. There was nothing going on. The overturned chair, there was only one of the three protective jackets on the hook. And the fact that there should always be one keeper in a house, and uh, none were found, just adds to the mystery of this. So now let's fast forward a little bit, Chris. On December 29th of, I was going to say 2000, I have zero zero here, 1900. <laughs> on December 29th of 1900, roughly two weeks after the time we think that the guys had gone missing. So they launched the investigation and it doesn't really give us much to go on, 
But there was a logbook there, Chris. And there's a lot of hearsay about this particular book and some of the entries that were in it. So I'm going to go through some of it. And apparently this was all written uh, through the eyes of uh, Lightkeeper Marshall. So let me give a, a couple of updates on the book. On December 12th, he writes that there were severe winds. And on the 13th, he writes that the storm was growing ever more violent, right? On 12.15, he writes that the skies were clear. Blue skies, the sun shining, as if the storm had passed. That's a normal logbook entry. You would tell what's going on in a daily routine and whatnot. Now, the odd thing here is that he started writing about the behaviors of the other men, the other keepers. He writes that Duckett was very quiet, pensive, somewhat obviously concerned about what was happening with the weather. Then he proceeds to write that MacArthur was crying, right? So <laughs> take that as you will, but you wouldn't write that about your fellow mates because they would easily be able to see that, right? And we come to find out that that part of this legend was proved to be false. They never found evidence of Marshall writing this about the other keeper's behavior, but the entries were basically focused on the weather. But now here, Chris, is the weird thing. And I, I got to know, bud, is your seatbelt buckled? Uh, fastened in the upper position. Yes. Okay, because here's the deal, Chris. Research shows that there were no storms in the area. Furthermore, the seas were very calm throughout that period of 1212 to 1215. So, buddy, riddle me that. I know, obviously, we're not in a day of age where, you know, it's probably easy to determine. Because we know ourselves, I'm just going to be a devil's advocate here. So, like, you know how there could be a storm where I am, but down the street they didn't get anything type yes. of thing? Yes, yep. So, I'm not saying that this isn't possible, but it would be, it definitely, it definitely adds to the eeriness, I will tell you that. That if they experienced this so-called storm, but... Nobody else experienced it. And you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, there are so many theories about what happened, and that's one of them. It would essentially be that the storm happened, and it happened in that specific region. And because those islands are somewhat remote, maybe a severe passing storm hit them, basically just caused destruction, and the guys ran out and somehow fell off the side of the cliff. Because we do come to find out that... The railing on one side of the island there was damaged earlier in another storm that hit the island. So that adds to the danger of the landscape that these guys are working on. Now, as far as my thinking goes, I am thinking either pirates. I'm talking about, you know, just guys that may have seen that rations came in and were delivered from another ship and... They came to rob these guys off the island, kidnap them or murder them, whatnot, and that would then explain, in my eyes, the disappearance of all three of them, especially the guy inside with the overturned chair runs out to try to help the other two and never seen or heard from again. So that's one of my favorite theories, and my other explanation would be a rogue wave, pal. Those things, and I've talked to T-Bone about this on a show before, those things can pretty much come out of nowhere. So if these guys are outside, you know, trying to carry those those rations in, 
And I mean, I think that's a big hint that those things were just left out there. Maybe the two guys went out there with their coats, they start carrying the shit in, and MacArthur was inside, sees the wave coming, tries to run outside and warn them, flips the chair over in the process and leaves his food there, but it's too late in getting to them, and they are simultaneously all washed into the North Atlantic. I guess that could make sense. I, I, I know that when Moore went in and he saw the food in the kitchen, I don't know if he just saw what could have been MacArthur's food. Yeah, that's the thing. We the, don't know. We don't know how many plates were there. Right. Right. So it could have been just MacArthur or whoever stayed inside, or it could have been all of them, and they all you know rushed out for something. And I know it's you're talking about this, you know, the the middle of the sea here, like outside of this island, where if they were to fall in the water, I mean, the chances of them showing up unless they were floated up against the island or something. And you got to think about it too, right? With this steamer coming through, it took three days for it to get to the port of Leith. You know, these ships are passing by, but who knows if it's few and far between and the distances that they got to go to. Luckily, the captain of the arch store had the wherewithal to, to note it and make it aware to people at the port because, you know, who knows how many ships passed by and didn't say anything about it. Yeah, true. It's possible. As I said, I'm torn between the pirates and the rogue wave, but I would think, due to the fact that the supplies were still outside, that the pirates would have taken that with them if their intention was to rob what was ever on the island. So my guess is going to be a massive rogue wave hit. MacArthur was inside. He noticed this. Uh, Duckett and Marshall were outside bringing the supplies in. By the time he got outside to warn them, they were swept away into the ocean. In addition to them being swept out, Marshall was probably swept out to sea as well due to the power of these waves, you know. And all it takes is one. And we talked about that fencing on the side that was all fucked up. And once you go into that water, you're done. Well, let's not forget the other very popular theory that they were abducted by aliens. Oh, always. That could always be the case, Chris. <laughs> Clearly, the uh, that's the top uh, theory. No, but in all seriousness, as you mentioned that, they apparently, some of the clues that were found was that there were ropes that were strewn all over the rocks, and apparently these ropes were usually held in a brown crate that was like 70 feet above the platform on a supply crane, and they're thinking that perhaps what maybe while they were pulling or trying to pull these crates up, uh, that it maybe it dislodged and it was knocked down. And then while the, you know, the keepers were trying to actually go and retrieve them, that a wave came in and, and kind of knocked them out into the sea. Anyway, that's what they think is the most likely case in the official report. Well, now, Chris, you're being very elusive. We all want to know, pal. What says you? Well, I agree, I think, because... I don't really think there was any foul play here, only because, like you mentioned, if, if the purpose of somebody making landfall there, with the exception of just murdering three people, was to steal things, then why were the rations left behind, like you said? Mm-hmm. And it seems as if nothing was touched inside the house either. If anything, it was just left exactly as it was when these men left the house, so... I think it was definitely a case of them being surprised by a wave or someone slipping and falling in, then another trying to save them, and then eventually it ended with all three of them in the water and and with no way to get back up. 
There were additional theories that came out about the possibility of murder-suicide, where oh, one of the guys killed the other two and then committed suicide by jumping off the cliff himself. And there was also another theory about them essentially going insane. I guess I could see that if you weren't an experienced lightkeeper and, you know, you didn't know what to expect. But these guys were all well-versed in this. They have been through this dozens of times. So I don't see that really being a good explanation. The fact that suddenly just they just go insane from being alone. I mean, at least they had each other out there. It's not like just standing out there by yourself for fucking three months. You never know with, you know, we all know that people that don't fit the whole murder profile can be just that you know they could just snap and you just never know what are you saying i'm just merely speculating that there's a possibility (laughs) that somebody (laughs) lost their shit yeah i mean isn't there always the possibility of that chris i mean especially (laughs) on a daily basis (laughs) especially in 2021 my goodness but that's it but that is the case of the eileen moore lighthouse keeper disappearances and as we said, this took place back in 1900, pal. It is now 2021, and we are no closer to solving this case. So I think we're all going to go to the grave not knowing exactly what happened, but I do think the most logical scenario would be a rogue wave. Says you. But yes, you're right, Chris. Says me. And uh, you just gave me the courage to put this down in the books, bud. I'm putting it down as a solved case, bud. We cracked this case. It was a rogue wave. <laughs> Fuck it. This case has been solved 121 years later. Here by the boys of the Between the Cracks podcast. What do you think of that, pal? <laughs> I expect to see in tomorrow's paper. <laughs> yes. Sounds good. So, uh, you know, let's get the fuck out of here before the snow hits. Now, with all that said, little buddy, let's do the rundown. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, hold it. Oh. Before you do that rundown, mm-hmm. I do want to bring light to a previous case that we touched oh, on. Oh, shit. That's right. So, apparently, and why don't you do the honors, Billy, because you found it. Now, hold on a second, Chris. Let me check here on my phone. This is, um, oh my god, it was episode three, Chris, and it came out nearly a year ago, February 6th of 2020. Now, if you guys do go back and listen to this, Please take it with a grain of salt because we, I mean, the sound quality sounds like fucking dick. It's terrible. It just, we were different people then. It sounds like shit. So uh, it sounds like we recorded it in a cave. <laughs> Basically, it was a story of this young lady by the name of Natalia Grace. And she was adopted, and I forgot from some, what country it was, but in at least a European country, right? Ukraine, U- I think, Ukraine. Right? Yeah, Ukraine. And I appreciate you saying Ukraine, Chris, and not the Ukraine, one of my pet peeves. So she was adopted, but the family started growing suspicious of the fact that she may have been older than she said, because she said she was eight. Well, she didn't say it, but the adoption agency said it, and it's basically the age she proclaimed to be. Uh, but certain hints gave away the fact that she was much older. Now, I'm not going to give all that away. you got to go back to the episode to listen. Long story short, the family gets her an apartment, and they split. They go to Canada. Like, they're washing their hands clean. Things are too creepy. They say that she's threatening to fucking hurt them, and they want nothing to do with this adoption. So they leave her. So you can imagine how that looks in the papers, leaving the eight-year-old girl in an apartment, and you fucking split to another country. That's the gist of this story. But I did send Chris an article that I just found today, and it was dated back in, I don't know, August or whatever. The courts ruled that uh, Natalia is indeed 
in adults. Well, well, well. Fuck you. But yeah, Chris, how crazy is that? I cannot imagine. Now, thinking back on all the shit that she was doing, I mean, we assume that she was. I think a lot of people did. Yeah. But there was a lot of naysayers out there, too. And it's just, what a relief for the family to get that kind of oh my you know, God. recognition. And, and so that they wouldn't have to go through the rest of their life, not only thinking they're crazy, but also having to deal with a lawsuit on their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Just vindicated, man. But you could kind of tell by, you know, the way she talked. I mean, she was on the, the, the guy, your twin there, uh, Dr. Phil. She was... Uh, <laughs> she was on that show. I mean, she talked like she could be your fucking mother, you know? I gotta tell you, too, I think Phil was on her side. Yeah, so. yeah he was. He, I mean, he just goes wherever the ratings go. God, why did I take it out on Dr. Phil? He did nothing wrong. <laughs> you want to tell us a little... Something more? How you feel about uh, oh my old dad? God? But uh, yeah, Chris. So that's the update on that case, and uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up episode on one of the Patreon episodes. We also will be doing an additional update on the Colleen Stan case because that fucking asshole who kidnapped her is up for parole due to COVID nineteen in March. You know, if they're so concerned about this guy's health, which they shouldn't be, just I would just let him fucking die because he was found guilty. He admitted to doing it. He's a fucking scumbag. So he should just suffer the fate. No matter what happens, happens to him. But Chris, as we're sitting here, I just thought of a great solution. If they want to release him due to COVID and they want to protect him as well as society, why not put a box over his head every time he's in uh, public? Oh. Right? That would prevent the COVID from spreading to him and him from spreading it to others. And he could get a taste of his own medicine. I like the way you think. Yeah, I think that might just work. So uh, we will get a letter out and maybe even a petition to get that done this week, Chris. (laughs) If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. You can get in touch with Chris uh, Between the Cracks Podcast on Facebook. Uh, Get me on Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast. Anything Between the Cracks Podcast will pop up. Uh, Anything between your cracks will listen. Oh, no, no, no. Do not go searching between our cracks. Please, I beg of you. But uh, if you do want to join the Patreon page, we have a Patreon episode or two coming out a month. You get mugs, stickers, shout-outs, rights to request a show, anything you want to do. Join the fucking page. It's a dollar a month, five dollars, ten dollars a month. Whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. You know, we appreciate everything. And we appreciate you even if you don't donate. Just listen to us. Christ, somebody listen to us. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And I'm just joking, it is a, a fun little group that we have. And in addition to that, we have the Teespring shop. And Chris, we just sold three fucking shirts this week, bud. Um, I don't know what they were, and but I just actually bought myself the uh, Am I Right Chris shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will be sporting that around town. And uh, once everything opens up again, Chris, and we're walking around town together, they can ask who Chris is, and I can point to you. <laughs> and they can wonder what kind of weird shit is going on between us. Oh, dear <laughs> Lord. That wraps up episode number 48 of the Between the Cracks podcast. Now, with all that said, why don't we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest oh farewells. Oh my God. It's a birthday kitty. Is that a mogwai? <laughs> Oh, Bill, 
this was nice of you guys to throw a little party for me. I to do that. I thought it was a nice time to get the game back together. I mean, look at everybody, man. La Pasqualita made the fucking ride up. The Erickson twins, Robert the Dah. My man Blue Balls is back there. And Timmy and Craig T. Nelson, bro. You couldn't ask for anything more. Oh, man, what a reunion here. Yeah, man, I mean, and this is all for you, pal. Holy shit, here comes the cake, Chris. Oh, bud. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here it is. All right, well, I guess there's only one thing left to do. Time to make the wish. Chris, you can't pull out those fucking candles, bro. You can't, it's in mean? We're in the middle of a fucking pandemic, bro. People will lose their shit. You can't pull out those candles. You got anything else? You got a fucking fan on you or anything? Uh, oh, uh, shit. Dude, you got to hurry, bro. Craig T. Nelson's fucking drunk. He's getting... Cr oh, shit, man. Uh, He's coming this way. Back on. No! I beg of you, no! Oh, God. Oh, God! Ah! Well, uh, you blew them all out. Make a wish? 